Thank you so much for joining us. This is, for me, a very exciting topic in dentistry. I think it's going to change how we practice. I think it's really going to lead to a new era of evidence-based dentistry. Now, I know that's a very trite line, and we've heard this before, but I don't think Invisalign or porcelain veneers, all the great advancements in the last 10, 20 years, aren't the same. I think this allows us to be seeing dental disease and oral health in such a way that we've never seen it before on a very high-res scale. So I'll talk more about that. Let's get started. So part of the reason I'm so excited about being here right now is that is the presence of David Lin. David Lin is the chief scientific officer of a testing company. It's the newest testing company for the oral microbiome. He's a PhD. And what's interesting about David is that he has a long background in the gut microbiome. And as we know that the gut microbiome and the oral microbiome, these are all very important, obviously, but they are connected. And what he's done for this testing company is absolutely fantastic. We're going to talk about that. So in general, the relationship between the clinician, that would be us, and the researcher, someone like David Lynn, I just don't think that gets exploited enough. And we see it more in medicine. And again, we're always trying to be more evidence-based in, in our profession. And really, the only way that's going to happen, because we are clinicians, we can't be both. We need to work closer with people that know the science, that have done the research. And so that's why I'm excited. We're going to spend an hour with David, and I think you're going to learn a lot, not because I'm here, but because David is here. So again, David, thanks for being here with us. Just real quick before we get started, David's going to talk for about a half hour, and then I'll come in later and talk about how testing and how this paradigm shift helps us practice and be better clinicians and how it may change dentistry. I just want to say that the oral microbiome, relatively new, it explains a lot. And we really haven't had a chance to really concretely describe oral disease. We see more of a lot morphological changes in the gum tissue. We record deep pockets. Patients have toothaches. We see holes in the teeth, demineralization, cavities. But we really haven't been able to explain it other than acids in the mouth, fermentation byproducts of a poor diet. So that's why the oral microbiome is so important. It explains a lot, the mechanism of, of oral disease, the dysbiosis of the oral microbiome, same thing. And I think it's going to change how we practice because we're going to be seeing things differently. And I think the practitioners in the field, that would be us, that are already practicing, they're the ones that are going to be leading the charge. Dental school, this really hasn't taken hold yet. Yes, it's being mentioned Certainly sleep dentistry is being mentioned, but a lot of this is going to come from CE and from actually practicing. So just really quickly, we're just going to cover a few things. So the first is the basics of the oral microbiome, talk about the role of the oral microbiome in both oral disease and systemic disease. We're going to compare the different salivary diagnostics that are on the market and how they relate to oral microbiome testing, identify use cases for testing patients, and also determine how they can be used to improve both home care and in-office care. And the last two are just incorporating the testing into your workflows and how to talk to patients about salivary testing and, and why oral microbiome testing is so important. So just a very quick summary of what the oral microbiome is, is it's a community of bacteria, fungi, and viruses that live in your mouth. And that's the simplest explanation. The oral microbiome is quite diverse. It's the second largest diverse microbiome on the human body, second to only the gut. To date, we've detected a little over 700 different 
bacterial species as part of the oral microbiome, but this is just bacteria. Of course, there's also fungi and viruses that comprise the oral microbiome. And research to date has now shown that the abundance of certain pathogens, which we'll talk about later, can cause oral dysbiosis, which is related to oral disease. And so certain pathogens can cause cavities and gum disease and a number of other different conditions. And most importantly, the oral microbiome can be modulated. And by changing the microbiome, you can actually mitigate disease progression. So all bacteria and fungi, they are able to grow on surfaces and they go through this cycle called biofilm kind of adhesion, maturation, and dispersion. And the reason this is important is because these bacteria and fungi, they can adhere to a surface and it's not just one microbe that lives in a biofilm, it's actually multiple. And the way that they they adhere to the surface and create a little home for themselves allows for very interesting interactions between different species because of the proximity of of these microbes to each other. So uh, in this figure, you can see after a microbe has adhered to a surface, it creates this biofilm that has many different microbes in it, and they create these different types of molecules that protect the biofilm. And then finally, there's a dispersion step where different microbes can leave the biofilm and then they can go propagate elsewhere. So bacteria and fungi, they really like to live in in these biofilms because, of course, they're resistant to many different types of interventions and aren't easily removed. Different types of biofilms grow in different places. So the, the microbes that colonize your tongue are very different from the ones that colonize the surface of your teeth. And this is, of course, because the environments are very different. And so the figure on the right is just an example of the different species or the different genuses that we found on different surfaces. So you can imagine that The microbes that live, let's say, on the tongue dorsum are more likely to be aerobic. And this is because your tongue is more exposed to oxygen than, let's say, the the bacteria that live in the gum line. And of course, this is mostly driven by oxygen levels. But of course, there's there's other environmental factors at play as well, such as diet and the immune system. Really importantly, the reason we're talking about salivary testing is because all of the microbes that live across the mouth and the different niches, they're all shed in saliva. And this is because everybody has about a thousand salivary glands in their mouth. And this allows for the shedding of all these microbes and their DNA into saliva. And so just looking at saliva can give you a really good picture of the things that are going on in the mouth. So I thought we would cover a little bit about how the oral microbiome impacts oral health. I'm sure you're all very well aware how they cause disease, but the two terms that you should learn today are symbiosis and dysbiosis. So symbiosis is a state of balance. This is another term is homeostasis. It's where the community is stable. And so I like to use a garden analogy where the garden is entirely filled with plants that you like. So you have fruit trees, you have bushes, you have different types of shrubs, you have grass, And because all the pockets are filled with things that you like, it's less likely for an invader to come in like a weed and destroy all your other plants and and to take up the space because everything has been filled. And then the opposite is dysbiosis. And dysbiosis is a state of imbalance. And this is where the, the microbes in the community are actually very unstable. And in the garden analogy, this is essentially one of your plants is now missing. And so it's likely for an invader to come in like a weed to take up the space. And now because it's it's taken up root, now it can expand and start to kill your other plants because it's invasive. And so the, the image on the right is just a depiction of what homeostasis looks like versus dysbiosis. Usually in dysbiosis, some of these microbes, they're, they're able to become overabundant. And as they outgrow, they actually cause damage to the tissue, which causes a feed forward loop, which can then allow for more of these invaders to grow and, and cause more damage, which then 
removes the, the good bacteria that are normally there in its place. So the reason dysbiosis is so important is because the most common oral diseases on the planet are caused by oral microbiome dysbiosis. So 25% of all people, all adults have untreated tooth decay. 90% of adults have at least one cavity. I know I'm preaching to the choir, but about half of all adults over age of 30 have some form of gum disease and everything. All of these are driven by microbes. So really importantly, it's not just one microbe that can cause disease. It's usually because uh, many different microbes. And so it's it's not just one pathogen that comes in and, and causes disease. It's really because the whole community has now shifted and you have oral microbiome dysbiosis. So of course, in the first example, in cavities, we know that sugar doesn't really cause cavities by itself. It's the fermentation of sugar by bacteria or by fungi that create acid and acid erodes the enamel. So these pathogens can create acid, but on the opposite end of the spectrum, we have commensal beneficial microbes that actually create pH neutralizing molecules. And these help to remineralize teeth, and they can also prevent invaders from coming in and, and causing cavities. So uh, I'll go to an example later, but they can create compounds that kill other bacteria. And they can also just physically take up space, just like in the garden. They prevent invaders from coming in and taking up space. And of course, in cavities, it's not always just one microbe, it can also be polymicrobial. So many different microbes can cause cavities. And very similar in gum disease. So there's dozens of pathogens, well, over a dozen pathogens now that we know can cause gum inflammation. And similarly to cavities, beneficial microbes can actually increase resistance to gum disease and, and help prevent gum disease. And of course, they do this in a very similar fashion where they can create biofilms that are more beneficial. So there's healthy dental plaque which is uh, basically competing for the space. And they can also produce molecules like hydrogen peroxide or bacteriosins that can kill other bacteria. And of course, in this case, disease is often polymicrobial as well. So it's about the community. It, it's not just a single microbe that can come in and, and cause disease. So the oral microbiome is also implicated in other oral health conditions. It's not just cavities and gum disease, but of course, chronic bad breath. So halitosis is caused by the production of volatile organic and sulfur compounds. And these can be produced by a number of different bacteria and fungi. I think the estimate now is that 60% of all people have some form of chronic bad breath that they're either unaware of or they are aware of, and they try to mask it using gum or, or some other some other intervention, but usually it's caused by imbalance of microbes in the, in the oral microbiome. Burning mouth syndrome is caused by a virus. Oral thrush, of course, caused by candida. It's not just one species of candida. Again, it's, it's multiple different types of candida and also gut inflammation. So there's a really good, a lot of studies now that demonstrate a really strong association between the microbes in the mouth and how they cause gut inflammation because they can either traverse so they can translocate from your mouth and colonize the gut where they can cause inflammation, or they can train the immune system in the mouth, which then those immune cells then travel to the gut and, and inflame the gut. So I thought I would cover two examples of microbial interactions just to demonstrate the importance of community. And the first is Streptococcus sanguinis, which is a commensal bacteria, and how it prevents the cariogenic activity of Streptococcus mutans, which we all know is a very strong cariogenic pathogen. So the First observation was that people who are healthy, who don't have any cavities, have very high levels of what are known as arginine deaminase pathways activity. So arginine deaminase is a pathway where arginine is, is metabolized into ammonia, and the ammonia helps to increase the pH, local pH on the surface of the tooth, and this helps to remineralize teeth. And it turns out that after a lot of molecular biology, that Streptococcus gordonii and Streptococcus sanguinis, two commensal species, can they encode the genes for arginine deaminase. 
And this, of course, led to the use of arginine in some important studies that have shown that arginine can be a really strong preventive tool for remineralizing teeth and, and relieving tooth sensitivity. And this is just a, a figure to demonstrate the way that this interaction works. It's because sanguinous, it doesn't only raise the local pH, but it can also fight streptococcus mutans in some really interesting ways, such as hydrogen peroxide and producing bacteriosins. And the second interaction I thought I would give is actually one where pathogens can synergize and, and create worse disease. So Porphyrmonas gingivalis, which we all know is a really important periodontal pathogen, it actually interacts really closely with other types of periodontal pathogens. So Porphyrmonas gingivalis alone is not as pathogenic as if you had combined it with either Treponema denticola or Fusobacterium nucleatum or Prevotella intermedia, all of which are known periodontal pathogens, but when you combine the two together or three of them together, now you get much worse progression of disease. And so, of course, by knowing whether or not you have these species in your mouth, this can help to inform treatment decisions just by knowing how much more quickly someone's disease can progress. So the oral microbiome is not just implicated in oral health, it's also in overall health. So I alluded to this a little bit because of the gut, but it's actually implicated in many other areas of your health. So this review, which was published a few years ago, kind of demonstrates a little bit of this. So let's start on the top left, Alzheimer's disease. We know now that Porphyrmonas gingivalis has been found in the brains of people with Alzheimer's disease, and an increased abundance of Porphyrmonas gingivalis is actually associated with a worse progression of Alzheimer's. Cardiovascular disease. So many different types of heart disease. We found microbes actually in atherosclerotic plaque, which kind of implicates them. In, in creating plaque and causing worse outcomes for cardiovascular disease. And a really important one that I talked about was uh, GI disease, Fusobacterium nucleatum and P. gingivalis, both oral bacteria, but have been found to cause worse colorectal cancer or gut inflammation. Adverse pregnancy outcomes. So there's a few studies now that show low birth weight or preterm pregnancies are associated with having certain microbes in actually in the placenta. The thought is that having more of them in the oral microbiome is going to lead to them being elsewhere in the body. And the last one is just diabetes, where most people now know that the periodontal, periodontal disease and diabetes have a very close interaction where uh, there's a feed-forward loop between the two. Uh, just to talk a little bit about Fusobacterium nucleatum, it's actually been found in the tumors of people with colorectal cancer. And having high levels of Fuso, it leads to worse outcomes and worse prognosis for people with colorectal cancer. Additionally, we, I know we talked about Porphyrmonas gingivalis, um, but P. gingivalis is a, not only a pathogen in periodontal disease, but also maybe a pathogen for Alzheimer's. And not only Alzheimer's, but also rheumatoid arthritis and gut dysbiosis. And the reason it does this is because it creates these molecules called gingipanes, which can modulate the immune system and cause disease, essentially. So hopefully that tells you a little bit about how important the oral microbiome is. So I just thought I'd pull a clip from a recent review, which basically just says, after they had summarized all the different studies on oral microbiome dysbiosis, they had found that many different systemic diseases, you can find changes in the oral microbiome. And usually this is associated with worse health outcomes. So oral microbiome dysbiosis affects oral health and systemic health. So next, we're going to talk about oral microbiome testing and the different types and how to use them. So these are different methods of salivary testing. Let's start on the far right. The conventional microbiology is where you take a sample and you put it on a Petri dish 
and you look at the microbes and their biochemical characteristics. Of course, this is not a very high throughput method, and this is a very traditional method to looking at kind of what microbes exist in a certain sample. But of course, you can't really quantitate things using this method because you you can't count as many microbes, and a lot of them are actually unculturable. So we we really aren't able to grow a lot of these microbes. So conventional microbiology doesn't apply to the oral microbiome as a whole. And one more recent method that was developed is called qPCR. So it's quantitative polymerase chain reaction. And this basically measures the presence or absence of certain microbes. And you can only basically only target certain species. So you, you can predetermine your targets and look at them individually. But of course, we know that the oral microbiome has 700 different species of bacteria and at least. And so it's very difficult for you to check all of those using this method. One step up from there is called 16S ribosomal RNA sequencing. And here you can profile all the bacteria in a sample. And we'll talk a little bit about resolution, but uh, resolution is basically how how finely you can look at something and, and how well you can characterize it. And 16S gets you to about the genus level. And finally, we get to shock and metagenomics. Shock and metagenomics, you can look at all the DNA or RNA in a sample, which means you can profile all the bacteria, fungi, viruses, and parasites. You can profile everything. And the resolution is higher than what you would get in 16S. You can actually get beyond species. You can go down to the strain level because of how much data you get from whole genome sequencing. And finally, at the bottom, we're not going to talk about this, but functional profiling is a very is a strong suit of chocolate genomics, but we won't get into that today. So there are many different tests on the market for salivary diagnostics. Most of them use the qPCR method that I talked about, and so that really limits the number of uh, species you can look at. So just for example, the oral DNA myperiopath can look at 11 different targets, which are all periodontal pathogens. And this is in contrast to the other analysis methods where we're using shotgun metagenomics or we're using 16S, where you can profile all the bacteria. And of course, depending on on the tests that you get, especially if you're using shotgun metagenomics, you can also pick up a fungi. Whereas other tests, you may have to get a separate test just to look at the fungi. And so just to summarize here, Shaka metagenomics is a really powerful tool. And because of the advances in molecular biology and sequencing, the cost has dropped significantly to now where you can, you can do shotgun metagenomics as a, as a tool. All right. So shotgun metagenomics uses all the DNA in a sample. Here's an example of why that's really important. So what I'm showing on the right is the circular genome of the pathogen we all know, Porphyrmonas gingivalis, which has about 2 million base pairs. Okay, so this is 2 million, 2 million letters, and it encodes about 2,000 different genes. And each of those genes does something. So it can in- increase its virulence or it can help it become a, a worse pathogen. Shock metagenomics allows you to look at all of those, all of those genes. Other methods do not. So each of the blue lines in that circle is a different gene. And by using shock metagenomics, you can actually look at all of those. Whereas other methods can only look at if porphyrmonas gingivalis is there or not. So I said we would talk a little bit about resolution. And so what I'm showing you here is just a table of taxonomy, biology 101. You may remember kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species. This is how we classify all the organisms on the planet. And the reason that resolution is so important is because different strains can do different things. So the most relevant example is on the far right with COVID-19, which of course is a virus, which we still classify into this taxonomy. And the most important part of this is at the very bottom where we have the strain. 
So the certain strain of COVID-19 actually determines a lot of its characteristics. So we know the SARS-CoV-2, which is the, the species of COVID-19, the Omicron strain was much more transmissible than the alpha strain, than the very first strain that came. And this is because of changes to its RNA in this case that allow it to become more transmissible. And the same thing is true for bacteria. So Streptococcus mutans and CTC 10449 may be more or less virulent than other strains depending on depending on the, the different strains that we're talking about. And, and so this is why looking all the way down to the strain level is really important. So basically, oral health is driven by a community of microbes, and looking at the resolution all the way down to their strain level is really important. So if each person has over 100 different bacteria, fungi, and viruses in their mouth, these microbes interact in ways that we may not currently understand. But by measuring only the pathogenic species, you're actually not grasping all the information that you can. So just thought I would demonstrate why this is the case. So if you measure the relative abundance of all the members of a community, you're actually measuring the relationship between different microbes to each other. And this is in contrast to measuring absolute abundance, where you're measuring the levels of one microbe alone. And so here, of course, we want to talk about community. So in this example, we have two different patients. And here we're measuring their absolute abundance of pathogens. Okay, And so in both cases, we have five genome copies per milliliter. And so we really, by this definition, we would think that they're exactly the same, that they would likely have the same health outcomes. But if we measure the rest of the oral microbiome, and we'll look at here the, the commensal species, again, we're looking at the absolute abundance, patient one only has five genome copies per mil, whereas patient two has 45. So they have almost 10 times as much, nine times as much. And if you convert this to relative abundance, now you realize that patient two is actually much closer to oral microbiome symbiosis, and patient one is actually in dysbiosis because of the contribution of the pathogens in their community is much higher. And so we would deem patient one to have oral dysbiosis, patient two as oral symbiosis. So oral microbiome data, of course, is much more complex than this. You're not just measuring, you know, something is a pathogen and something is a, is a commensal. You're actually measuring much more than that. And so it can get very complicated. But fortunately, there are algorithms that have been developed that can convert that very complicated information into something that's much more digestible. And so you can come out with scores to, to convert all that information into something like a gum inflammation score. What is the likelihood that a patient will have gum inflammation? What's the likelihood that someone will have worse tooth decay and progress to have a cavity from incipient caries? What's the risk of that person having halitosis? And of course, because of those different scores, you can also leverage the different species or the different strains that contribute to those scores. And you can tailor personalized treatments because of that. And so based on a certain person's microbiome, now you can say maybe a certain food or maybe a certain mouthwash or, or a certain probiotic may be more beneficial than another, just depending on their microbiome. And of course, it also allows you to track changes over time. So not only giving recommendations, but also measuring their efficacy. And now I'm, I'm going to pass it off to Mark. As a practitioner, I don't know how you guys feel, but that was a little overwhelming. I mean, again, we're not researchers. The important thing is, is that we translate this into our practices as clinicians, and we, we are better for it if we use it properly. So I'm going to talk about integrating this into your practice. We've got about 15, 20 minutes left. And obviously integrating anything to do testing, if it's, especially if it's high resolution testing, this is something you want to be doing. Next slide, David, please. Thanks. Next slide, examples for oral microbiome testing. So this probably will be your most important tool, for the lack of a better term, to be able to accomplish what you 
have been taught as, as a dentist. Again, this is something you never got in dental school. Maybe some of you younger dentists did get a little bit of it, but it's so important to establish a routine. So when I was writing up this slide, we wanted to at first differentiate between a new patient and an existing patient. But then I thought when it comes to oral microbiome testing, which you're introducing into your practice, all your patients are new patients or should be treated as new patients. So I think that everyone should be tested, even if you think they're healthy. Let's say you have a patient that doesn't get cavities and doesn't doesn't have any inflammation or any signs of inflammation. I think testing is very important, A, to establish a baseline, but also the test may reveal that they are predisposed to either a high decay in the, in the future, gum disease. So the, the first thing would be to establish an oral health baseline. Obviously, detailed health history is important, but you want to have that detailed health history alongside the oral microbiome testing because there's a lot that you want to compare and contrast. You want both those bits of data. Again, always test even when seemingly healthy. I think treating in the prodomal phase of, of disease, and again, we don't know if they're diseased yet. Again, in dentistry, a lot of our decision-making is based on, for example, the morphology of tissue. That's already, that, that patient is already exhibiting signs of the disease if we see bleeding points and inflammation, morphological changes. Wouldn't it be nice to know well before that, that that patient was going to get gum disease or cavities? I think that's a big plus in, in testing. So every patient should be tested, even if everything seems to be going well. As we get older, things happen. We gain weight, our airways get smaller, we start mouth breathing, we get a little lax. Sometimes we may get sick and we're on meds that dries our mouth. Things change as we age. So it's important to, I think, test every single patient. Uh, we'll talk more about how often to test after that. The comprehension of, of the context of the patient's epigenetics, that's important. That'll be in your detailed health history. Again, that would be diet, meds, habits, what they're doing at home. Hopefully you're getting good data on that. I'll talk a little bit more about that. And then part of this, one of the pluses of testing is it establishes yourself to the patient as a whole body care provider. A lot of dentists feel uncomfortable with that. They just want to stay in their lane, but our lane really is systemic health because oral health is so intertwined with systemic health. No, we're not going to treat for diabetes. We're not going to give them any advice in regards to that, but we are going to be referring to our physicians and and our friends in the in the medical profession. That's important. That crossover and that connection, that communication is very important. Dentistry and medicine are very divided. We practice kind of in parallel universes and we really don't communicate that much, which is unfortunate for the patient. So yeah, establishing yourself as this kind of provider is a plus. It will differentiate yourself in a world where corporations, private equity firms are buying dental practices and they're kind of taking over the space. So, so that's a big help. Functional approach, kind of a direct line to root cause treatments. Again, knowing overall what's going to happen to your patient, what condition they have, even though you're not seeing symptoms yet is very important, if, especially if you're looking at things in a functional way. In other words, if you want to treat upstream, the more knowledge you have, the better. You're really not treating upstream if you're just filling cavities and recommending scale and root planings. Uh, you're, you're acting 
slightly after the fact. So testing is a big advantage in that area. And then, and then of course, don't forget to first educate the patient. As a blogger in dentistry, I speak to and I'm in contact with a lot of people. And most of these people are, A, they know about the oral microbiome. They are very excited about the oral microbiome. They are actually coming in to ask their dentist about the oral microbiome. You know, how is my oral microbiome? I mean, that's the question they would ask. And I would be prepared for that. Uh, these are patients that have a lot of knowledge. And this is the democratization of healthcare. This is kind of a new reality. It's Dr. Google. You know, there are pros and cons to that, of course. But patients have questions. And whether they really know what they're talking about or not, that's not what I'm trying to describe here. But they do have very intelligent questions or, or they know about things that we need to be able to offer them. And the oral microbiome is, is going to be a big one. David, the next slide, please. So we all have patients like this, the frustrated sufferer. In other words, it may be a patient that's flossing and brushing and eating well, and they've taken all your advice. There, there are a lot of things that testing can do. It can explain what's really going on. These are patients that have a lot of cavities it could be differences between, uh, again, most of you have experienced this where spouses will come in, one will tattletale on the other, one's flossing, one isn't. It could be siblings, it could even be twins. And you'll see differences in what they're exhibiting in terms of oral health. I had a, a good number of identical twins in my practice. And of course, that always piqued my interest based on the, I forget what they're called, the twin studies, the concordance studies. Uh, that always was fascinating to me. You know, is it genetics? Was it nature, nurture? And it's surprising the differences that you'll see. One's mouth breathing, one isn't. One has a lot of decay. One has cravings for carbohydrates. The other one's wanting to eat fish and, and meat. Lots of interesting differences there. So again, you can't qualify any of this. You can just observe. But if you have the data from high-resolution testing, then you can actually give the mom in this case or the dad, the parent, or if it's an older patient, them information on what actually is going on. Flossers and brushers, or so they say, we have patients like that, that basically are telling us that they are doing that if they're not, or if they are, they're not doing it properly and they're not doing it often enough. This testing gives us a way to deal with all these unknowns. Next slide, please. Case study. We threw this in at the last minute. This is from a dentist that, that I worked with. Very interesting. The reason I wanted to include this, that there are plenty of case studies that we could talk about. David mentioned a few. We would like to do more CE where we just talk about case studies. I think dentists learn a lot from a specific case study because it kind of reminds us of, some, of something that we saw in our practice. It gives us practical information and solutions. But I liked this one because in dentistry, Yes, we, we can recognize gum disease, we can recognize the cavity, when we, we know it when we see it, and we can treat it. But all these weird little ulcerations, trauma to the oral mucosa, the weird lesions, uh, that's something that we really don't have a good, good. I mean, we can usually differentiate between cancer and non-cancerous uh, lesions. If not, we, we get a biopsy. But a lot of patients come in with some very unusual lesions in the mouth. And in this case, it was a 37-year-old male with a persistent non-traditional gum inflammation. We call them water blisters. The practitioner called them water blisters. And they were very consistently there once or twice a month. Hygiene at home, all the right things, changes in toothpaste or no toothpaste, no mouthwashes, anything that could 
irritate the oral mucosa, mouthwashes, and dietary changes. None of that really worked. Of course, there was Profi, SRP, all of that was looked at. It turns out that after a comprehensive oral microbiome test, that there was an unusual amount, a very high amount, you'll see it here, almost 80% of one species. And that is very unlike the oral microbiome. As you know, we're always looking for diversity. In dentistry, we've been taught to look for one villain and attack it, disinfect it, remove it. And the oral microbiome certainly is about community, not an individual bug or species. But in this case, correct me if I'm wrong on this, David, it's serratia. How do you pronounce it? Marsasans. Marsasans, yes. So it's a rare opportunistic species. She had no idea why this was the case. It can cause gum inflammation. Next slide. And as it turns out that having this information, knowing about that one bug, it allowed the practitioner to apply a very targeted therapy, xylitol mints, and a probiotic. And the patient was extremely pleased because within months, within six months, the water blisters pretty much went away. And this was something that was vexing the patient for a long, long time. That patient had brought this up many, many times to previous dentists, and it was never really addressed. So all these little cold sores, these little things that patients bring to us, you now have something that can fine-tune your approach to addressing it. David, do you have anything to add on this slide, on this case study? Just to say that this was one of the first times we had seen anything like that. And serratia is really not that common, especially at that high abundance. And in that paper that I'm showing at the top really just demonstrates some of the research that went to, to demonstrate how something as simple as xylitol can, can actually be really helpful and prevent serratia from, from causing disease. And it's really not just the, the xylitol. So the xylitol doesn't kill the bacteria. It kind of reduces their growth and, and reduces their ability to invade. But on top of that, there's there's other probiotic therapies that were also recommended. So lactobacillus ruteri, it, it makes a, a ruterin, which is a bacteriosin that has been shown to kill some enteric bacteria, such as serratia. And thankfully, it really helped out. Um, and hopefully, it stays that way. It's a very interesting case study. Uh, as we all know, most of us know that xylitol inhibits the strep mutans bugs as well. All it does is really affect how sticky the bug is. It doesn't really kill it. So it's just nice to know which bug we're dealing with or which series of bugs. And then that gives us a lot of data as to what to do about it. Next slide, please. So other symptoms and health issues, David touched on this a little bit, high resolution testing. Now that there are halitosis scores, there'll be more types of scores. There'll be a nitric oxide score perhaps in the future. There are a lot of things that testing can show us very quickly. A burning mouth, oral thrush, gut health issues. These are all symptoms of a dysbiotic oral microbiome. And certainly this can lead to other systemic issues. Next slide, please. So who are the at-risk patients? And, and of course, obviously they need testing. This would apply to anyone, any one of your patients that has diabetes, cardiovascular disease. You know, what is the oral health contribution to their cardiovascular disease. I've worked with a lot of cardiovascular surgeons and primary care physicians on cardiovascular disease. They're treating their patients. They're looking at CRP, for example, the C-reactive protein measure of, of inflammation. And they really didn't know that their patient had gum disease as well. And that was probably contributing to the elevated CRP as well. The physician's trying to drop that CRP, get that patient healthy. And so it's important to know and work with, to know the context of 
systemic health as, as it is connected to oral health. Alzheimer's disease, we all know now that Alzheimer's disease and, and oral disease are connected even in a causative way. That's not good news, but it's exciting for us because we're now on the front lines. A lot of my Alzheimer's patients over the years that eventually did get Alzheimer's, they were fighting and dealing with gum disease. You know, my mother had Alzheimer's. She had uh, periodontal disease as well. This is something that dentists really need to be uh, working with on phys- with physicians on. It's so important. Gut disorders. We hear so much now about IBS and IBD, certainly Crohn's when it comes to gum disease, Any actually any kind of oral inflammation. I do think that gastroenterologists and dentists will be working together. The gut microbiome and the oral microbiome are connected. We don't know all the details yet. Again, with testing and with companies that do test, you know, they're building databases. We're learning from every every patient, every person that gets tested adds to that database and gives us more data. I don't think all testing companies are getting as much data as they need, but but that database is improving. So again, keep in mind that the oral microbiome, the gut microbiome are connected. It seems like the gut microbiome is, if it's not doing well, is responsible for a lot of things, including our mental well-being. So again, Being a dentist, recognizing the importance of the oral microbiome is a big component of overall health. So other at-risk populations, of course, are pregnant women, the immunocompromised. Test those patients as well. It's so important. Test for pregnancy, it's important to test before conception. I think that's very important because as, as we all know, as dentists, inflammation in the mouth leads to poor results, low birth weights, early term births. And the other thing to, to remember is that the, the child's oral microbiome comes from the vaginal canal of the mom. It is mom's oral microbiome. That's where it starts. And it would be good to know how mom is before family planning occurs, you know, before conception. I think obviously we don't all have that luxury, but something to, to know and to recommend to our patients. Uh, it's great to be part of that. Uh, David, next slide, please. Personal health data drives behavioral change. I think we all get this. In the beginning, I was never a big fan of of these tracking devices. I use the Aura Ring, the one on the bottom. I think that's a fantastic device. I use it with my patients. I use it for myself and my family because it does tell me to go to bed earlier. It does modify my behavior so that I'm healthier and a better person and have better health outcomes. So why not oral microbiome testing why not have that why not see that in the same in the same category because by testing we know more and your patients will be way more motivated they will be more likely to accept treatment plans you know it'd be nice if the insurance companies would be on board as well hopefully that's coming later the third parties are always very difficult they're slow to change but again data drives behavioral change it brings a better outcome it makes your job easier as a as a professional, as a clinician. And so I, I, I would see oral microbiome testing as one of those health data devices or, or tracking device. Patients can do this at home. They can order this online. They can share the data with you as a clinician or with their physician. You can give them the test as well in, in the office. We'll talk a little bit more about that. I think that's coming up. Uh, next slide, please. So again, as I just said, quantifiable, objective, and also easily accessible data. Hopefully it, it comes down in price where it's accessible in terms of cost as well. Hopefully insurance gets involved. I know a lot of these testing companies have been working with third-party uh, providers and they're trying to get this covered. They're trying to get CDA codes. And we'll talk a little bit about that. I know we'll, we'll, I know there'll be some questions 
on that. In the meantime, patients are driven by, is it covered by insurance? Then they're more likely to do it. In the meantime, maybe bundle it in with your treatment or explain to them, educate them that this could save them money. Instead of looking at morphological changes in the tissue and trying to make an assessment based on periodontal readings and all of that, which is fine. I mean, that's that's the basis for our clinical approach, but why not fine tune it a little bit more and get to that upstream kind of root cause of what's causing the problem that could save a lot of time and money for the patient. Sometimes that helps them make the decision to spend $100 on a test. Uh, next slide. So other key applications remote monitoring of a patient post-treatment. I think that's important. You're not just going to test once a year. After surgery, if you're a periodontist, I used to do a lot of periodontal surgery. Certainly after deep deep cleanings, SRP, you've got the perio recall. I think testing is important. I mean, what? how does the oral microbiome in that patient react to treatment? That's very important. Does it react well? Is there a change? If there is a change, the patient sees that. They're more likely to continue with therapy. Periodontal therapy is very long and drawn out. A lot of patients don't like it because it's expensive. It's painful, of course, but it's not very tangible to them. It's not like taking a pill or filling a cavity, for example. That's tangible. That can be done in one visit and the filling is filled and fixed and they don't have to worry about it for 10, 20, 30 years. So I think testing is very important in that regard, especially in perio. Improving and personalizing patient care. I think this is a great practice builder, but more importantly, it gives you a better outcome with the patient. That microbiome insight, the, the oral microbiome insight is key to being a better practitioner. I do think that a dentist that is not addressing and considering the oral microbiome is practicing below the standard of care. I think it's become that obvious that this is important. It's the it's the cause or the explanation or the mechanism of oral disease. Whole body care with systemic insights. I kind of touched on that. Uh, referral to the primary care MD. That's very, very important. That is so important because... If we're working just on the oral health aspect of the patient, they're not going to get better, maybe from an oral health standpoint, but you always have that systemic part of it. It could be diabetes, for example. It could be that they're pre-diabetic. That's going to affect the health of your patient. That's going to affect the results of your scale and root planning. You're going to get a patient that just kind of doesn't heal very well or very quickly. So working with a primary MD is so important. Sharing the the oral microbiome information that you're getting with the MD is very important. The question is, is are they going to respond to that? Are they even going to, are they going to laugh at us, right? That, that is, happens a lot, but it's, it's something that we need to start doing. Find an MD, a primary care physician. Uh, I do a lot of uh, sleep, dental sleep work and consulting. And it took me a few years, but for 15 years, I had a great relationship with an ENT, pediatric ENT, and a sleep lab and a sleep physician. And they were right around the corner and we worked very well together. That really helped my patients. That is important. So again, better health outcomes through early detection and prevention. It would be wonderful to know what your patients, what's going to happen to your patients as they get older. Are they going, are they going to be cavity prone? Are they susceptible to something? Should they be very wary of changing their diet and, and being lax in their diet. That is something that they will appreciate. I mean, I think part of being a professional is the satisfaction of knowing that you're protecting your patient. It's uh, it's that feeling of being able to do something worthwhile for them. If you could do it earlier 
and in a prodomal phase where they're, they're not exhibiting symptoms yet. And the only way you're going to do that is with testing, oral microbiome testing. That is a great service. That is probably the biggest, the greatest service you can provide for them and to their families. And they will appreciate that. Next slide, please, David. So how to use the test results for at home and in office care. This is kind of evolving. I mean, and again, there's no third-party payments yet. That's coming. Obviously, testing is easy. We'll talk a little bit about that. But it goes beyond what most dentists do, and that is stop eating candy, come back in six months, and brush and floss. And I'm more speaking about the dentist. Hygienists do a much better job of this. They actually educate. But it's important to tailor oral care recommendations to each patient. Each patient is different, and each oral microbiome in each patient is incredibly different. There are more differences, and we're not sure why why this is, and this can be among healthy people. The fact is, is that the oral microbiome, the individual differences are huge. So you have to address that. You have to be aware of it. You can't just rubber stamp everyone uh, when it comes to the oral microbiome. Dietary modifications like eat more beets. That's important. Nitrate supplements, uh, lozenges. Those are, those are going to be big in dentistry soon. Uh, that's something you should look into. If you have any questions about that, I please email me. I'm looking into that right now with a company that will, will provide that for dentists specifically. It's something that you can just put underneath your tongue, let it soak in and absorb beets, an amazing food. Most people love beets. You can puree your beets. You can make a beet hummus. Those are all great things. I give my patients, uh, a, the recipe for beet hummus, and they love it. And most importantly, address the pH issues. Uh, this is very important for the oral microbiome. One of the, as it is for the gut microbiome, one of the biggest changes that occur when dysbiosis occurs is a change in the pH. In the gut, it's a little different. It's a more protected area. In the mouth, it can happen in minutes based on diet, mouth breathing. Like I've been doing a lot of talking now. My mouth is dry. I'm adding water, of course, but sleeping with your mouth open at night. These are all things that can change the pH in your mouth dramatically. And, and within a similar amount of time, the oral microbiome will change. It will change in nature. The, the populations will change. And you know what, what effect does that have on your oral health? So that's an important thing. Make sure your patients are able to breathe through their nose. Most of you know this and and are on top of this, but it, it is connected to the oral microbiome. Of course, it's connected to sleep, grinding, bruxism, uh, many other factors. Uh, next slide, please, David. Clinical treatment. So you were running a little over. I'm going to run through this quickly. Again, if you know beforehand, if you've tested your patient and you have a good idea of where they stand, you saw the the one of David's last slides. There's a nice, with the bristle test, They they have a nice, easy to understand form where it basically tells you if you're kind of low or high on the scale of having a propensity for having decay or getting decay. And so if that's you, if that patient is your patient, then that can help you You decide whether you should treat right away, give them lots of dietary advice, or maybe hold off on or not trying to remineralize those lesions. If they're very low and you see a small lesion, that's an ideal patient to try the remineralization process on. It gives you more information and allows you to make a very difficult decision on that is whether to treat or not when it comes to decay. Again, the prodomal patients, the ones that may have the disease, they're getting cavities. We don't know that until we see it on the x-ray or we see it clinically, we can probe it. Treating in that phase, trying to figure out whether they have that dis or have disease like that early is really the best clinical approach by far. Everything else after that is secondary. And of course, 
We're all good clinicians. We can treat that as well. But finding out before it happens is, is absolutely the best thing we can do. Next slide. Clinical treatment, gingivitis and periodontal disease. I touched on this a little bit. I'm just going to drop down to the bottom point here. It's been decades of relying on periodontal pocketing and the morphological changes in, in the tissue. We're all very good at it, and we've gotten very good at it. In fact, even in a conversational, from a conversational distance, most dentists can pick out gum disease. But is that really what we should be basing our decisions on? And obviously, up until this point in time, we've done a good job of it, but it's time for some very high-resolution testing, knowing the bugs, knowing the combination of bugs that are involved, and and knowing whether that patient will get gum disease. If they do have gum disease, what kind of gum disease is it? And where should we go? Is it surgery? Is it deep cleanings? Is it antibiotic therapy? That kind of thing. And then last slide here on antibiotic selection. I did use antibiotics in clinical practice for very severe cases. You know, I'm not for antibiotics, but sometimes a patient needs a reset, but it's you're flying blind if you're just, you know, using that shotgun approach of amoxicillin, clindamycin, both at the same time or in succession one week of first amoxicillin, then clindamycin. And this is what medicine does. Medicine, it tries to find and select for a specific bacteria before a physician prescribes an antibiotic. I know some periodontists that are doing this. It's it's being done, but not on a very broad scale. Every general practitioner should be testing the oral microbiome and should know beforehand which of these antibiotics would work best if, in fact, that is is something that they want to do. Next slide. Okay, so how to integrate into your practice. This is pretty simple. It's not a poke or a prick. It's uh, typically spitting into a small vial, as I said earlier, with the bristle test. And I think, I'm not sure with other tests, but patients can do this online. It arrives at your doorstep a day or two later, and you spit into it, you send it off, and you get that data you can share it with your dentist. This is very simple. Again, it's very accessible. And most importantly, it's not very threatening to the patient. So a lot of patients are excited about testing their oral microbiome, but then they're looking for a practitioner that can explain the results to them. So I do know that Bristle has coaching. My wife went through that this morning. I haven't experienced that directly, but let's not let them make all the decisions for us. Let's get involved as practitioners and be the best coaches we can to our patients. Next slide. Okay. So I'm a firm believer that the, the backbone of any dental practice is the dental hygienist or hygienists. I think they are the most effective and vital public health servants that we have in this country. Maybe that's an overstatement, but they are the ones that will be more likely to want this test in the practice. I hope I'm not insulting any dentists, but they get it. They have time to administer it. And the best part of it is that they can educate. They can educate the patient. And so, A, they're they're primed to take the test, pay for it. And more importantly, they're very excited about the results. They want to know. They want to know if they're kids. And again, I don't think testing occurs until age 18. For some companies, I'm not sure about that. But it's important to, to allow the hygienist in your practice to run with this. So this is a practice builder but it's also good for your patients. And I think, I mean, I could talk more about this, but I think this is the best place to integrate is to have the hygienist be the one who administers the test or tells the patient, educates them, and actually discusses the results with them. I think that's allowed in most states, if not all states, and it drives treatment. From that point on, again, education is the best way to sell dentistry.
I think we all know that. Next slide, please. Assessing the test results. So we've got good testing now, finally. We have high-resolution testing. We have data. We're gathering data. And now we have to learn how to use the data. And that's the part that we're still learning how to do. And, and I think Bristol, for example, they're creating a database. And what I'd like to do in continuing courses on the oral microbiome is to talk about all these case studies and learn from them. I think that's where most of us will get the best the best result out of sitting here for an hour or two or three and 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 learning about the oral microbiome. So assessing test results is still difficult. Certainly patients on their own, they get this very simplified test result. They get it's barcoded, green is good, orange is bad, red is terrible, and that's helpful. Again, that motivates them. But we do need to be able to assess the data in so many more ways, and that's all coming. And I do think we as practitioners need to be part of that process. We do need to know, we need to know more of the science. You know, we don't need to know what David knows completely. I think that would, you know, getting a PhD is very time consuming, but as a provider, I think we do need to know a lot about the oral microbiome and we need to be able to turn on a dime when we see certain bacteria, certain test results. By the way, all these test results have raw data. It's not just the, the, what the patient sees. So, and then Lastly, be a champion of that dental medical integration. Uh, oral microbiome testing, I think really, I think the the physician is more likely to listen to us because we have, again, what I hear a lot from physicians is that we're not evidence-based, our profession. Whether that's true or not, that's up for discussion, of course, but that's kind of where they come from. That's why dentistry and medicine separated a long time ago. They kicked us out of the club. I think it was 1839. And one of the main reasons was they thought we were tooth hacks, tooth mechanics, tooth carpenters, and that we were not evidence-based. There's more to the story than that, but that's that's the crux of it. And I think this would help with our communications with, and again, as, as I said, a GI person, someone who's working with a patient with the, the gut microbiome, they hopefully are aware of the interaction between the gut microbiome and the oral microbiome. Next slide. Patient testimonial. I'll, I'll let you read this, but Patients really get this. This this is something that allows you to be kind of that, this may sound silly, kind of that healthcare superhero where you really want to make a difference for your patients. It's it's practice building, of course, but this this allows you to go home at night and really feel good because it's not just about dentistry. I mean, if you think that all you're doing is filling cavities as an oral health care provider, you're not living up to your full potential. You're not practicing to your full potential. You really need to see the big picture of that oral systemic connection. And the oral microbiome is really the, the biggest aspect of that connection to the rest of the body. So comprehension, being able to work with easily, knowledge of the oral microbiome is key for being the best dental care provider you can be. Salivary testing is like routine blood work. Medicine's been doing it, blood panels, CRP test, C-reactive protein test, A1C, the uh, cholesterol testing. It's about time that dentistry has a high-resolution test that allows us to really pinpoint disease and, and talk on a very molecular level, not a morphological level or on a one or two or three millimeter pocket level. That's fine. I'm saying that's still going to be part of our routine, but it's time that we are discussing oral disease on a DNA molecular level. Certain oral bacteria have been associated. David touched on this. Six out of 10 systemic diseases have some form of oral bacteria 
uh, present uh, or the DNA of oral bacteria. That that is a frightening stat, and it's it's something that our patients need to know about. And if you're a dentist that doesn't know that, I would dive deeply into that oral systemic connection and become an expert on that. Oral health and systemic health are kind of running along separate lines and they really need to be integrated. The sooner we do that, the better. The savings to like Medicare and to overall expenses in healthcare could be drastically reduced as well. There are all sorts of studies that support that. So again, oral microbiome testing is is going to help in this regard. Next slide. Didn't realize we had so many slides. How much does it cost? Does insurance cover it? I think we can talk about that in the Q&A, David, but I would just, for patients that are resistant, if it's not covered by insurance, maybe the hygienist can explain this. There are cost savings in knowing what the status is of your oral microbiome. Here's my last slide. I'm an older dentist. I graduated in 87. There was no there were no dental loops. Maybe neurosurgeons were using dental loops, but, and I remember when I first came across dental loops and I was a little resistant, I went to a two and a half X that was difficult to get used to. And then I went to a four and a quarter X. And I think one day I broke them and they had to be repaired. And I realized that really what degree of resolution for the lack of a better word that allowed me. And if you can't see it, you can't treat it. That really changed my, how I, was able to do dentistry. And I think oral microbiome testing kind of falls in the same category. This is a big deal. And because of the resolution now on a molecular level, this shotgun approach and and looking for all the bacteria in the mouth and more than just the 16S RNA and genus kind of measurements, but actually species, this is an exciting time. Seeing oral disease on the molecular level allows us to treat it like it, it's never been treated before. So I'm very excited. I hope that you are excited as well. I assume you are since you're here and you're still here, but this is a big deal. I think this is going to lead to a new era of uh, evidence-based dentistry. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.